So we're in John 7. We're going to be reading from verse 11 to verse 31, okay? I will read from the King James. I have some notes and things from the ESV that I'll bring out, but I want to read starting at verse 11. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, He is a good man, and others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spoke, uh, spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, He knoweth, uh, how, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned? And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man do his will, he shall know of my doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why do you go about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil, who goeth about to kill thee? Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye marvel, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave you uh, gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers, and ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receiveth circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, it is, is this not he who they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know that this is indeed the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man has done? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your grace. Lord, we thank you for your son who challenges us daily in our walk with him that we would answer this very question if he is truly the Christ. Could this be the Christ? Lord, I thank you for the message that you have given us today. I thank you for this portion of your word that we are going to expound and walk through today. And God, I ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive this message today. 
God, give grace to the hearers and give me grace as I speak, God, not to be speaking of my own self, but to glorify Christ who spoke your words. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we begin this, we kind of forget where we left off because it's been about three weeks since we talked about this. But remember, Jesus didn't go up to the feast with his brothers. Remember, they wanted him to go right now. They wanted him to march into the city of Jerusalem in open and, and declare that he's the Christ, right? They said, why don't you do this stuff in secret? Why, why are you hiding? Well, Jesus' answer was, my hour is not yet come. It's not my time, right? So Jesus said, it's not my time to go. So he ends up going to the feast, but he didn't go to announce himself as the Christ. Why? Because we know that later on he's going to have a triumphal entry where they're going to take palm leaves and throw it on the ground and they're going to say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? That's what we commonly called a triumphal entry. And that happens seven days before he's crucified, right? This is the, the beginning of the Passion Week is when that is going to happen. And Jesus knows that the Father has sent him to do a specific work, and he knows what work he has to do when he has to do it. Amen? So this is where we're coming. Jesus said, I'm not going up openly. I'm going to go up in my own time. And he does. Amen? Now we pick the narrative back up right here. He says that it, it begins by saying the Jews sought him at the feast. And they asked, where is he? Now, first of all, I, wanted, I just wanted to make mention that these Jews, because John talks about the Jews a lot, right? He just lumps it all together. But we know this isn't the Jewish people as a whole. This is the Jewish leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, right? That's who we're talking about. When John says the Jews, he's talking about the leaders of the Jews, right? So when he says the Jews sought him, he's talking about the Jewish Sanhedrin, the people that led the Jews were seeking him, okay? Uh, this refers to the Jewish leaders. Secondly, I wanted to note that these people who were against him are the ones who are seeking him out, okay? Now, uh, people, and people today would be like, oh, at least they're looking for him. At least they're looking for him. Isn't that a praise the Lord? No, it's not good the way they're seeking him, okay? Jesus said, if you come to me any other way, right? Do, do we not remember chapter 6 where they came to him? just to fill their bellies, and he rebuked them, right? He said, you just come so that you can have more bread and fish. You didn't come to actually eat the bread from heaven and to believe on me, amen? So these Jews aren't seeking him to believe on him. They're seeking him to trap him. They're seeking him to throw stumbling blocks and to speak ill of him, okay? So when they're seeking him, it doesn't mean they're seeking him the way Someone of faith seeks him. Amen. Uh, notice verse 12 that there was murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said he's a good man. You see they're not even believing on him rightly. Amen. Because 
He's more than just a good man. He's more than just a rabbi. He's more than just a carpenter. Amen? He's God in the flesh. So even the people where they say he's a good man aren't necessarily people of faith. They're just people who are going, oh, he's a good man. Leave him alone, right? And then other people, what are they saying? Oh, he deceiveth the people, right? He's leading them astray. Isn't that what the ESV says in verse 12? Uh, let's see. I'll look at it in mine. He says, while some said he is a good man and others say, no, he is leading the people astray, right? So the, there's two different schools of thought that are going on about Jesus at this time among the people, okay? The people were saying, oh, he's a good man. And the other people said, oh, no, he's a deceiver. He's deceiving the people. Why? This murmuring, this deceiving. Now, later on, the Jews, and when I say the Jews, I mean the chief priests and the Pharisees, level this charge against Jesus, okay? They call him a deceiver. They, they say this. It, matter of fact, go to Matthew chapter 27. Pretty sure it's Matthew 27. I didn't write this down, so... Don't get mad at me. Matthew 27, and I think it's like verse 60. Yeah, verse 63. This is when Jesus has died, and he's in the tomb, and the chief priests and the Pharisees are going to Pilate to try to put a guard at his tomb. Okay? Notice what they say, verse 63, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said when he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Now, who is this talking? If you go to verse 62, you'll see that this is the chief priests, not just one, the chief priests and the Pharisees came and said, I remember when that deceiver was alive, okay? See, that was what they called him was a deceiver. That's what the Pharisees were saying. Oh, he's deceiving people, okay? So why would people think that he was deceiving people? Well, that's because that's what the Pharisees and chief priests were saying about him, okay? That's what they were saying about Christ, okay? They were openly opposing him, okay? This wasn't like secret opposition. They openly opposed Christ at every turn, okay? So these people who are seeking him, who are leveling charges about him being a deceiver, right? They're the ones that are seeking him. <coughs> they believe that Jesus was leading the people astray. Why? Well, number one, they weren't spiritual. They weren't born again. It had, what did Jesus tell them in the last chapter? He said, he said, you have seen me and still don't believe. Right? And then he still offered them. What We talked about it. He offered them. He said, come and eat the bread from heaven that you might live. Right? He still offered it to them. They rejected it openly, right? That's what's happening right here. Verse 13, he says, 
he says, how be it, or it says, how be it, no man spoke openly about him for fear of the Jews. Now we know that the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the ones that were creating this fear, okay? Why would they be afraid, okay? Why would, why would the chief priests and the, the, the scribes and the Jewish leaders put fear in the people? What would make them afraid? Well, the, the simple answer is this. Following Christ or even confessing that you believed this Jesus was the Christ brought opposition, not only opposition, but excommunication. What's excommunication? They kicked you out of the Sanhedrin. They kicked you out of the synagogue, okay? You want some proof of this, you can turn to John 12 real quick. We're going to go to John 12, verse 42. <clears throat> Nevertheless, among the chief priests and rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogues. You see, even now, they're starting to say, well, if you believe this Jesus character, this false prophet, this deceiver, you're not even allowed at church. See, that's what they were doing. That's the fear. And a Jewish person who is devoutly following Yahweh wants to be at church, wants to be in the synagogue, wants to be in fellowship with other believers. Uh, they were much more devout than supposed believers in America right now that the slightest little sniffle or the slightest little uh, raindrop will keep them from coming to church. You see, it was so important that they were together and in fellowship that these people, although they believed they were afraid of the Pharisees because they did not want to be put out of fellowship with the people of God. Amen? Now, at some point, you got to draw a line in the sand and believe and say you believe. Jesus said, if you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father in heaven. Can I get an amen? So we understand that obviously people began to confess him because they were putting them out of the synagogues. But also, we understand the struggle that these people had of their faith and believing that Jesus is the Christ, but believing that they, that they know that he's from God, amen, but they don't want to be put out of fellowship with the other people of God. So it's a real conundrum for these people, okay? So for fear of being put out of the synagogue, no one spoke openly of Christ. And I'm going to assume this is in Jerusalem, okay? In Jerusalem especially, which is where this is at, they were locked down on speaking about Jesus, right? Nobody did it openly here. Now, it sounded like they spoke openly of Christ in Galilee, right? But here in Jerusalem, in Judea, it does not seem that way right now, right? Now, later on, after Pentecost, we know they do, right? Or even later when Jesus sends out the 12, they do. Or when he sends out the 72, they do. Amen? 
Right now it seems that they were not speaking openly about him. Uh, verse 14, let me go back to my text. It says, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Now, I thought this was hilarious, okay? I don't know how you read this, but when I read it, I was like, okay, the first 10 verses he's telling his brothers, I'm not going up to this feast without, you know, I'm not going up, I'm not announcing myself, I'm not walking in the front door, I'm not going in openly, right? So he doesn't want to go to the feast and announce his coming. But what's the first thing he does when he gets in town? He goes straight to the temple and openly begins to teach. Okay? Now, ironic as it is, I don't want to go in like a conquering Messiah yet. Okay? But I'm going to go in, I'm going to teach openly. Why? Why would Jesus, who was trying to conceal his Christhood, his messiahship right now go in and teach openly this is because jesus had to jesus's teaching had to be out there where everyone could hear it so that when the pharisees laid their objections against him people would say no he never said that and no that's not exactly what he said no that's not true right he spoke openly how do i know this was his attitude about it well if you go to his when he's being tried by Pilate by the Sanhedrin actually not Pilate but the Sanhedrin go to John 18 flip over to John 18 he's being questioned by the Jerusalem council he's being questioned by the high priest okay verse 19 the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and his doctrine. Now watch Jesus' response. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I, I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret I have said nothing. You see, Jesus wanted his message to be out in the open, public information, so that no charge could be leveled against him in reality. Now, they could fabricate charges, but then the people who heard him teach would know that those people were lying. You see, that's exactly what happens because the council says, we find no fault with him. They could lay no charge against him, right? That's exactly what Pilate sees. That's exactly what Herod sees. Can I get an amen? No one could find fault with him. Why? Because he taught openly. And everything he said was public information. And everybody, if they would have said, oh, he said this, everybody would have knew they were lying. Because his teaching was done in the open. Now this is, it speaks to something else. The Bible says, they that are of the light will speak in the light, right? But those who love darkness, they won't even come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Right? So Jesus being the embodiment of truth, 
and of light spoke openly, honestly before all the world so that his doctrine could not be misunderstood. His teaching could not be misconstrued so that the Pharisees could not lay a charge against him truthfully. Amen? In that, it would condemn them when they did that. Right? They're, they're, it's showing their depravity. It's showing their sin when they try to falsely accuse him. Right? And John makes this point all throughout his gospel that they are making these charges falsely. Right? That's exactly what's said throughout the book of John. And Matthew and Mark and Luke. Amen? So, let's go on. I want to I keep going as quick as we can here. Uh, verse 15. <laughs> I want to I get this one out of the way because some people take this the wrong way and we got to get through it, okay? Now about the midst of the, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 15. And the Jews marveled saying, he know, how knoweth this man letters having never learned? Now some people who don't really study the Bible and just read this at face value and don't take the whole context, will say, well, he didn't even know what letters were, so he was illiterate. That's not what this is saying, okay? It says, how knoweth this man letters? Now, this word letters in the Greek does not mean alphabet, okay? This word letters in the Greek is the word grama, okay? It is, uh, if you have a strong concordance, it is Greek word 1,121. It means writings, learning, or education, okay? How knoweth this man the writings, the sacred writings, the things of God, having never studied them? In other words, he did not have formal rabbinic training. He didn't go to rabbi school. That would be akin to today churches that go, well, we can't have you pastor our church. You haven't been to seminary or you don't have a master's degree or you don't have a doctorate. Uh, sorry, I don't see that in the list of qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It doesn't say anything about going to rabbi school. Right? says nothing about going to college to, to, be, to have to have a degree to pastor a church. And the, the most hilarious thing to me is knowing that Jesus didn't have formal training, knowing that James and John didn't have formal training, knowing that none of the actual 12 disciples had any formal training, yet today... There'd be a whole lot of churches that wouldn't let them pastor because they don't have a doctorate or a master's. They would look at Peter and ask him, where'd you go to school? They'd look at James and say, hey, where did you go to school? You see the kind of nonsense that we do nowadays that makes, it's not biblical. Going to school doesn't make you a pastor, okay? Being called a God and called of a church makes you a pastor. Seminary don't make pastors. It makes really dumb, smart people most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> it 
So, he wasn't illiterate. He just wasn't formally trained. He would have known how to read and write. He would have went to school as a child in, in, in Hebrew culture. He would have known the Torah. He would have knew how to write the words. He would have known how to say them. I mean, this is, he was a carpenter for goodness sake, okay? A carpenter that doesn't know basic math or how to write something down is not going to make it very long, okay? Let's just get that out of the way right now. He was a carpenter. If you want to know where it says he was a carpenter, you go to Mark chapter 6, verse 3, is where it says that Jesus is a carpenter. The people said, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and Joseph, whose brothers are blah, 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 blah. Amen? Mark 6, 3. Uh, verse 16, his teaching was from the Father. Notice this. They was like, how does this man know the sacred writings having never learned? And Jesus said, my doctrine or my teaching is not mine, but it's from him who sent me. Now, if you want some references for this, Jesus all throughout the book of John says that his words are not his. They come from the Father. Okay? So just for reference, John 14.10 John 14, 24, John 8, 28, John 12, 49, John 17 and 8. All of those are Jesus saying that my words aren't mine, they're the Father's who sent me. Okay? And in John 17, when he's praying, he says, Father, I have given them the words that you have given me. Amen? Clarifying. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus praying. Okay? And he's saying, I've given them the words that you have given me. I've given them your doctrine, your teaching, your gospel. Amen? This is what Jesus is saying. My words are not mine. They are the Father's. So this brings us right back to where Jesus says, if you reject me, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting the one who sent me. You can't reject the son and have the father. It doesn't work that way. The only way to get to the father is through the son. Amen? We know that emphatically. Why? Because Jesus said that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the father but by me. Amen? So it's emphatic that Jesus is telling them, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting the Father. Amen? Now let's get to verse 17. He said, if any man will do his will. This is a big statement, okay? Now, I want to read it out of the ESV. It gives a little clarity here. Now watch this. Uh, verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Okay? The King James says it this way, and I love how they say it too, because it brings out a different side of this. If any man will do his will, whose will? The Father's will. If any man will do the Father's will, he will know the doctrine whether it be of God or whether it be of me. Amen? This is a huge statement. 
And the Reformation Heritage Study Bible has a note here that I wanted to read for this purpose. He says, instead of men's teaching, or excuse me, instead of men testing Christ by his human credentials, remember what verse 16 said? Well, how, how can he know the scriptures since he's never learned, right? They're judging outwardly that he's never had formal training, so they don't think he has authority, okay? Watch what he's saying here. He says, instead of, men's instead of men testing Christ by his human credentials, Christ's teaching tests men to see whether or not they are willing to submit to God's will. That's what he's doing right here. He's telling them, if you are really willing to do God's will, you'll know that my teaching is from God and not from myself. Amen? This is emphatically what he's saying. And he's telling them, emphatically, you're judging by mere appearances. And you're judging wrongly. Amen? Why? Because they're fallen human beings. And fallen human beings do not perceive the things of God. The flesh and the mind of a natural man cannot understand the things of God because they are at war. They're at enmity, one with the other. They can't be understood by the natural man. You must be born again. Amen? We've already read that, right? John 3. John 6 tells us no one comes to the Father or comes to the Son except the Father draws them. So we know that God has to do a work in these people's hearts. And Jesus is leveling a charge against them that the work has not yet been done. Amen. Now let's keep going. Uh, uh, do have a note here in ESV study Bible has a good note on this very verse, okay? Uh, chapter. 7 verse 17 it says whether people follow Jesus depends on whether they're willing to obey him those who are morally willing to follow Jesus will be intellectually convinced that he is the way the truth and the life okay without this spiritual conviction that he is the Messiah without this spiritual conviction that he is the way the truth and the life they are blind people beating their heads on a brick wall because they are natural men trying to understand spiritual things. Verse 18. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh the glory of him that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. What Jesus is emphatically saying is that he's not here to do his will or to even seek his own glory he said and the person who seeks his own glory that guy's testimony is worthless but a guy that's coming to seek the glory of him who sent him you can trust that person Joel Beakey says this in the Reformation Heritage Study Bible on this verse he says a sound preacher is one who aims not for the promotion of his own reputation, but for the advancement of God's glory. And that's what Jesus is saying. Amen. Jesus did not come to do his will. He says this over and over. I've not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Amen. 
I've not come to receive glory. I've come to glorify my Father. Amen. When he taught us to pray, he said, you do this to glorify your Father. He said, when you do good works, it's to glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Jesus didn't even come down here to glorify himself. Jesus had all the glory he would ever need, would have ever, he, nothing was added to him. He has always been God. He always will be God. When Christ came to this earth, he did not come in glory. He came in humility. He came to be a servant and to die for the sins of the world. That was his purpose. And anyone that follows him cannot walk in pomposity. They must walk in humility. If you're walking in pompous arrogant attitude as a Christian, you are in sin and you must repent. Your glory is not your own. You are here to glorify Christ and your Father who's in heaven. Amen? That's why I decided many, 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 many years ago when I started preaching that I would never, ever have Kevin O'Connor Ministries. Okay, it, it just, I almost want to vomit every time I hear somebody's ministry is named after themselves. Okay, you're seeking your own glory, not Christ. Amen. Uh, let's go. I'll get stuck on that road and we won't ever get off of it. Verse 19. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why go ye about to kill me? This is a very strong statement. They revered Moses, okay? Moses was the highest patriarch in, their, uh, in the Jewish culture, right? above even Abraham, okay? Now, they were all children of Abraham, but when you talked about where their authority as Hebrew people and the law it was Moses. He was the prophet of Israel, okay? They revered Moses who gave them the law, yet this man that they revered, they didn't even keep the law that he gave them. Jesus is leveling a charge against them, okay? One greater than Moses is with you. And you want to stone me for making a man completely whole on the Sabbath? What's wrong with you people? In the words of R.C. Sproul, what's wrong with you people? This is crazy, right? Jesus is asking them. They wanted to kill him who's greater than Moses, who gave Moses the law. Once you understand John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When you understand that this person that they revered, Moses, who gave them the law of God, they're speaking to the very person who gave Moses the law. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord spoke unto Moses out of the midst of the burning bush. And this angel of the Lord is the Christ. The Son of God, the Word of God. That's who it was. Before Abraham was, I am. 
They're talking to the I am and want to kill him for making a man whole on the Sabbath day. Verse 20. The people answered and said unto him, Thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. Now it's interesting that some of these people must not have known. And I'm assuming that some of these people were from all around the, like the suburbs of Jerusalem, okay? Out in the countryside, okay? The people that are talking right now must not know that the Jews were trying to kill him, okay? Because in just a few more verses, you're going to see a people that said, in this the one that the Jews want to kill, and it's the people of Jerusalem that say that. So the people living in town must have had the lowdown from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests that they want to kill Jesus. But these country folks out in the hills and the you know backwoods, they didn't know all this. And they're, they're talking to him like, you're a crazy man. Are you possessed? Who wants to kill you? Nobody's trying to kill you. Verse 21, watch what he says because this is important. Jesus answered and said unto them, have I, I have done one work and ye all marveled. What one work is he talking about? He's talking about the man he healed at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day. Remember how mad the Pharisees were that he healed this man on the Sabbath day, and they tried to charge him right there as, 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 as someone who was breaking the Sabbath, right? This is the same group of people, obviously, that saw this, okay? And he's telling them, you guys marveled because I healed this man on the Sabbath day. Now watch what his next words say. Watch this. Verse uh, 22 23. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not because it came from Moses, but ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. And if a man on the Sabbath day can receive circumcision so that the law of Moses is not broken, why are you angry at me for making a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? So in other words, he was telling them, showing them their hypocrisy. He was showing them how hypocritical, how they were not judging this rightly. They, they circumcised babies on the Sabbath day so, that, so as not to break the law of Moses. But Jesus couldn't, in their opinion, heal this man lawfully. He's exposing their hypocrisy. He's exposing that they are not judging things according to righteous judgment. Otherwise, they would rejoice that this man who was lame for 30 years has been made whole, whether it was on the Sabbath day or not. Didn't he ask them then, which of you, if you had a, 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 a goat or a sheep fall in a ditch, would you not go get him on the Sabbath day? Of course you would. Why would God of all the universe not heal a man on the Sabbath day? Jesus was trying to show them then that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen? How do I know all this is where he was going? Verse 24. 
Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. This verse has been taken out of context and used for all manner of defenses about judging people. Oh, you can't judge by mere appearances, but you got to judge righteously. Right. Now, let's put it in the context that we just read it in because that's the context it needs to be in. Is they're trying to judge what's lawful on the Sabbath day. They're trying to judge what God's word says about something. And they're not being fair in their judgment. They're not being right in their judgment. Okay? This does not say not to judge at all. It says to judge rightly. And even if you go back to Matthew 7 where he says judge not lest you be judged. And when you judge for whatever judgment you meet, it will be met unto you again. And then we get the story of the plank in the eye and the moat in the eye. And take first take the moat of the beam out of your own eye. And then you can help your brother get the moat out of his eye. So even that story is not telling you not to judge at all. It's telling you to judge rightly. Amen. So, first of all, we got to bring it to the context of the scriptures being read in. Does it have an application for us to say not to judge by mere appearances? Absolutely. Okay? But we can't misuse that to make it mean whatever we want it to mean. Okay? We mean when we say don't you judge rightly, what we're saying is God's word is right. God's law is right, and I'm going to rightly divide his law, okay? I'm going to be merciful, just, all that, as much as I can as a human being in dividing and judging rightly, amen? But it's not up to me to set the standard for righteousness. It's not up to me to lower the bar. It's not up to you to lower the bar. The bar stays in the same spot, which is why homosexuality is still wrong. Which is why adultery is still wrong. Which is why fornication is still wrong. Which is why lying is still wrong. Which is still, can we just keep going? And as a culture, we don't have a right to say, don't judge me. No, we're going to judge rightly. We're also going to judge with mercy and grace and offer gospel offer grace and mercy in this amen but we can't call good evil and evil good then we will be doing the exact opposite of judging rightly amen uh, verse 25 watch this and then said some of them of Jerusalem I want you to underline that of Jerusalem so now we have people from Jerusalem that are saying, is not this he whom they seek to kill? So obviously this group of people from Jerusalem, they knew about the Pharisees and Sadducees and the, uh, the, the chief priests' plot to try to kill Jesus. Okay, they, they must have known this because they are from the city where the Jerusalem council sits. Amen? So they know this. And watch what they say. They say, is this not he who they seek to kill? But, lo, he speaks 
boldly, and they say nothing unto him. In other words, Kevin's modern-day paraphrased translation of this is, look, this guy, that's the one they're trying to kill, but he's out here talking out in the open, and they're not saying anything to him. How come? Watch what this group of people asks. Could, uh, do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? And if you read this in the Greek, this statement is in the emphatic, okay? This is the, could this be the very Christ? Could this be the true, truly the Christ? That's the way that this is said, okay? Could this truly be the Christ? Since they're not coming against him, since they're not trying to kill him, since they're not saying anything to him, and he's out here speaking openly before everybody, could this could it be that they know that this is the Christ? I'm going to lay it out to you. I think they did know. I think in their hatred for him, they didn't care. I think in their depraved human nature that rejected Christ, they didn't care that he was the Christ. They may very well have known just as the devils know that he was the Christ. They didn't care. He was threatening their power. He was threatening their position. He was threatening their, uh, the, the allegiance of the people to the system that they had. If anyone was filled with devils, it was those people and not Christ. Amen. So do they know that he's the Christ? Verse 27 uh, says, how be it, we know this man whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Now, this shows a little bit of ignorance on these people's part, first of all, okay? These people are uninformed about several things, first of which, they are rejecting Jesus because they think they know where he come from. They think he was born in Nazareth. And no prophet, and they ask this later on, the Pharisees ask that in this chapter, they'll say, is any prophet come from Galilee? But the problem is, Jesus wasn't born in Galilee. Jesus wasn't born in Nazareth. The problem is, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, where the prophet was supposed to come from, where the Messiah was born told that he was going to come from. Remember when the wise men came to Herod and they said, where is the child supposed to be born? And Herod got all his wise men together and they said, Bethlehem, Euphrata, out of you shall come, right? So they went to Bethlehem and where did they find? They found the Christ, the king. Amen. So these people are operating under false information, a false supposition that Christ came from Nazareth. He did not. He came from Judea, Bethlehem. Amen? So they didn't know that. They were operating in a false pretense. And then they say something else that's just as uh, an ignorant, uh, unknown, uh, unlearned. <laughs> they didn't know what they were talking about. 
When the Christ comes, no one will know where he comes from. That's not true. They knew that the Christ would come from Bethlehem. <laughs> Amen. That was, the, that was what the wise men told were told by Herod's wise men. Amen. That the Messiah would come from Bethlehem of Judea. Amen. So both of those presuppositions were not true. Okay. They could know where he come from. They didn't know actually where he come from. Okay. They thought they knew. They were operating under the fact that he grew up in Nazareth. Okay. Now, people, if they guessed that I'm from Coffeeville, would be right. But you can't just automatically assume just because people are living in Coffeeville that they are from Coffeeville, right? So that's what they were doing. Uh, last couple of verses, we're, we're going to get done. Verse 28, then Jesus cried out in the temple as he taught. So he gets emphatic and he raises his voice here. He says, ye both know me and you know whence I am and I am not come of myself. But he that sent me is true whom you know not. Now he labels the charge against them. Now he's leveling the charge. You don't know the one that sent me. Okay, these people were religious they, they were coming to the festival to, uh, to, to perform their duties as Jews, but they did not know the God that they worshipped. They knew his name was Yahweh, but they didn't know him. Amen? Jesus came to reveal the Father to us, which is what John 1 says, right? He has made him known to us. No one has known the Father except the only begotten Son. He has made him known to us. You see, the problem with humanity right now is they don't know the Father. The problem right now is humanity is separated from God the Father and are completely alienated from him. And even though they grew up in a quote-unquote Christian nation, they have no idea who God is. So don't be surprised when they reject you. Don't be surprised when they stand against you. Don't be surprised when they hate you. Jesus said they hated me, they're going to hate you. Stop being surprised that they hate you. Verse 29. But I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. There again, telling us emphatically that the message that he's bringing is from the Father to us. And the only begotten Son is the only one that could have brought the message. Last two verses. Then, right after he says this, where he says, but I know God. Now, how upset are you when people try to tell you this, okay? Because this, this epidemic right now, because, you know, we got so many prophetesses and apostles now that can hear it directly from God. And they, oh, I know God, and you just don't know him like I know him, right? That's exactly how these people took this, okay? And they took it so serious, they were about to kill him, or try to. Look at what happens. He tells them, but I know him. For I am from him, and he has sent me. Then they sought to take him. But no man laid hands on him, because it was not. His hour was not yet come. Now, this is a very important distinction in John's gospel. We have phrases that say, my hour or my time has not yet come, right? 
What hour, what time? Well, if you go to John chapter 17, verse 1, you're going to find out what time, what hour, okay? John 17 and 1, where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's going to the cross, before he's betrayed by Judas, right? These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. This is the hour. This is the time. This is the moment that all of Jesus' life has culminated in. Why couldn't they lay hands on him yet? Because his hour had not yet come. Because his purpose was to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. His purpose was to come and to offer his life as a sacrifice for sin that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That John 6, 40 could be fulfilled where he says, if anyone looks to the Son and believes, this is the will of God that they would have eternal life. Because his hour had not yet come. Verse 31. And many people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man has done? The answer to that question is no, because this is the Christ. This is the man. This is the Messiah. Amen. I titled this message, could this be the Christ? Because this is the fundamental question that all of these people are asking throughout this narrative is who are you? Amen? This is the same question that they went out to the desert to see John the Baptist in the wilderness. And they said, art thou Elijah? Art thou one of these prophets? Are you that prophet? What prophet is that prophet? That prophet is the prophet that's likened unto Moses. That prophet is the one who will come like Moses and deliver his people. That is that prophet. And we know from Hebrews chapter 4, or 3, excuse me. We know from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, that Jesus is that prophet that's greater than Moses. That Jesus is that prophet that was likened unto Moses that was foretold to come. He's the seed of promise from the garden of gifts or from the from the garden of Eden. He's the seed of promise given to Abraham. He's the great king promised to David. He's the great prophet prophesied by Elijah. He's that great king and God that Daniel saw in his vision. This is that prophet. Do you believe that? Do you believe that his words are from the Father? That he has come from the Father? That he is this Christ, the promised seed come from the Father? These are the questions being asked through this narrative. And if you'll stop and realize 
that these people started out by just saying he's a good man or no, he's just a deceiver. And then they realized, well, the Pharisees aren't saying anything to him. Maybe he's the Christ. And many believed on him from this point. Seeing the miracles and the signs that he brought, they could not deny. They said, will, when the Christ comes, will he do more miracles than this man? And this is asked as a question, not a statement of fact. They're asking a question because in their mind they cannot fathom seeing anything greater than what this man has done before their face. They have saw him heal a man that was made that was born lame, that was lame for 30 years. They saw him walk on water. They saw him feed 5,000. Men, not counting women and children, with, with five loaves of bread and two little fish. They heard the words that he spoke. They heard the whispers coming. Oh. They heard the whispers coming from outside of Jerusalem. From Samaria, from that little town of Sychar, where many people had believed on him because they heard his words for themselves. Beloved, when you hear the word of life, the bread from heaven, when you sit down at the master's table and you truly come to faith in Christ and eat from that bread of life, the truth cannot be hidden from you. It will open your heart. It will open your eyes. It will give you new life. And Jesus finishes this chapter with a statement. If anyone comes and drinks from me, water of life. That's the question. Could this be the Christ? Yes, it is. And if you but believe, if you but believe on him, you'll have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, we know that we are leaving this place this morning, God. But we know that we will never, ever be outside of your sight we will never be gone from your presence, that you never leave us and you never forsake us. Lord, I pray that first of all, you start in your house, that the people of God would believe wholeheartedly the gospel of God enough that it changes their life and enables them to go and share the good news. And Lord, I pray for all of those who don't know Jesus. Those that hear this message today, God, I pray that you would use it by your spirit to prick the hearts of dead men and women, God. That they would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again. Lord, we ask that you would help us, that you would go before us, sustain us, strengthen us, 
and enable us to live our lives for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.